Hi there, I'm Kate Wheeler in studio with Christine Bentley, and you're listening to another themed What She Said podcast. This week, we're focusing on health as we fall back into our routines. While the economic burden of arthritis on our society continues to rise, currently more than $33 billion annually, so does the demand for relief from pain. We're chatting with Heather Shantora, the CEO of PT Health, who is going to tell us about their exciting new partnership with the Arthritis Society. It aims to help patients suffering from arthritis get relief from chronic pain and discomfort, as well as an improved quality of life. And speaking of improved quality of life, psychotherapist, holistic nutritionist, and author Christina Vero, who has just written a guide for parents, teachers, and mentors called The Anxious Teen, it's out now and it helps answer the question, why are teens so darn anxious in the first place and what can we do to help as rates of anxiety are hitting catastrophic numbers among today's youth? And our financial health matters too. Renee Rebello from Life Coach Financial Strategies is going to break down how RESPs can be used for adult income splitting. And they're not just for kids anymore. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the show. We're on social media at What She Said Talk. And you can find more podcasts, videos, contests, and blogs on WhatSheSaidTalk.com. This is 1059 The Region. What she said. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is psychotherapist, holistic nutritionist, and author Christina Vero, who has just written a guide for parents, teachers, and mentors. It's called The Anxious Teen, and it helps answer the question, why are teens so darn anxious in the first place, and what can we do to help? Welcome back to What She Said, Christina. Thank you for having me. So, (coughs) The Anxious Teen, rates of anxiety are hitting catastrophic numbers, right, among today's Mm, youth. Yeah. We know you have firsthand experience giving hundreds of hours of therapy to teens, parents, and families. But what made you want to take a deeper look into this unsettling phenomenon of anxiety? Yeah. So I just want to take a step back to what you said was just the catastrophic numbers part. Yeah. So a stat that always comes up for me that just blew my mind when I heard it. Um, It's from the Canadian Institute for Health Information. And it said that between 2007 and 2014, there was a 55% increase in visits to emergency departments among teenagers for anxiety-related reasons. So that was just in seven years, that 55% increase. That's massive. And that to me was just shocking. So when I heard that, I was just completely curious and concerned about what was going on. But also just in my own practice as a psychotherapist, it was like every single teen I was seeing, I basically have just come to assume that they'll have anxiety because that's how common it is. And then outside of therapy, I was just noticing that everybody who I talked to when they found out that I was a therapist would be like, oh, well, I have a nephew who has really, really bad anxiety. Do you have any tips? Or teachers would be asking me for tips. So it was like everywhere I went, people were talking about anxiety and mostly about how it affected their teenagers. And so I was just thinking, you know, what is going on? And so I thought, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to explore it. I'm going to write a book about it. So what is going on? What are the root causes of this massive increase? I mean, we yeah. we sort of do associiate anxiety with teens a little bit in the terms of growing up. Teen and angst, all the hormones, right? The hormonal stuff. But, yeah. but why this sort of explosion? Yeah. Well, I think it's really important to add some context into what's going on here. So if we think about today's teenagers, the first thing is that they were born into the 
post 9-11 era, as I say. So there were terrorist attacks that were happening. Then they eventually started hearing about bombings and shootings. And it kind of sent the message for them growing up that the world was very unsafe and security was ramping up everywhere. And I think an additional difference there is that they can see raw footage of these things everywhere. So they can go on Twitter and see the actual video footage of something terrible that's happened or they can get live updates and things like that. So that was the first part was this post 9-11 era phenomenon happening. And then the second one was that over the past 30 years, we've had more dual income parents, which means more stress at home, more parents that are probably glued to their phone, responding to work emails, maybe a little bit more emotionally distressed themselves, and also more single parent families. So in that case, if you're a single parent, there could be financial troubles there. There could be blended families that are difficult for teenagers. So that's just a little bit of the context that's happening. And also the rates of divorce and growing up in the friction between... Yeah, Exactly. So there's interpersonal and then there's the global angst. Absolutely. And then you also have to keep in mind that these things are stressful for adults. So, you know, having two working parents is really hard or maybe having a blended family is really hard. But when you're a teenager, you also have the added layer of, well, my hormones are going crazy. There's all these changes happening internally. So it's just this perfect storm. So for me, the question is more so Like, of course they're anxious. Why wouldn't they be anxious kind of a thing? Now, you talked about social media playing a role in the sense that they can go anywhere and look at pictures of anything. There's nothing hidden. But also social media in the sense of teens are very... Uh, underconfident, let's say, even a co- somebody who will end up being a confident adult goes yes. through that stage. Yeah. So the whole judging thing on social mm-hmm. media, does that play a part in anxiety? Absolutely. And that was something else I wanted to bring up was the social media piece, because there is such an art to social media that many teens don't see. So it's a very curated platform like Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, all of these things, people can basically make up an image. And the problem that comes with that is teenagers now have plenty of opportunity for comparison. So all they're doing is looking at their friends and saying, oh, well, look how great their boyfriend looks or look at this trip that they just went on or look how fit they are. And they might not realize that that person edited the photo through five different apps. And look at how how she never wears the same thing twice. Right, right, (laughs) right. And so it is very curated. And so they're constantly exposing themselves to comparison. And what that also does, I think, is it leaves very little room for any reflection on who am I. And if we look at this from a psychological standpoint, in terms of stages of development, teenagers, their main job is to ask themselves, who am I? And to try to work out that identity. But that's really hard when you're constantly looking at other people. Okay, so as parents, then, mm-hmm. let's say it, the pressures of doing homework, doing yeah. well in school, navigating the social situations, yeah. as well as social media, um, yeah. can be more difficult for some teens than yeah. others. Um, but I would guess it's important for parents to do their homework, too, mm-hmm. and, and watch for signs of stress. But what are we looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say one thing is withdrawal. So with from friends, from family, from things that they used to really enjoy, if they're not doing those things anymore, then that could be a good indication that they're under a lot of stress. I've also noticed that with anxiety, particularly, a lot of the time it affects people's appetite. So some people will eat a lot more. Some people will barely eat anything when they're anxious. So keeping in mind any appetite changes and general mood changes as well. I also think it's really important to ask teenagers, are you thinking about suicide? I think that's a very scary question for a lot of adults, teachers, whoever, Um, but it kind of needs to be asked. So asking that question outright, are you having suicidal thoughts and seeing what they come back with? Um, 
Also, just you know your teen well. So if you see any drastic changes in just their general behavior that's different for them personally, that's a good sign that something might be going on. And finally, I would say that a lot of teenagers express anxiety as physical symptoms I've noticed as well. So they might say, oh, I'm just feeling really sick today. I can't go to school. Or I have a really, really bad headache. I can't go to school. And if that's happening a lot, a lot, a lot, then I usually, for me, that sort of code of I'm having a mental illness issue. I just don't know how to articulate it. So keeping in mind for them expressing it through physical symptoms as well is important. Have you come up with any solutions at all? I mean, it's a big order. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I would say that the first really important thing for parents to do especially is to make sure that you're spending some quality interactive time with your teenager. I think this gets increasingly difficult, like I said, when we have these dual income homes. Um, Parents are really busy. I totally get it. They're really, really stressed. But when teens feel isolated amidst all of these difficult things, I think that's a recipe for disaster. So when When I say quality interactive time, I don't mean go take them to a movie and just sit in silence. I mean, do something kind of fun together. So you can go for a hot chocolate and just chat. You can play a board game together. You can go for a walk. You can try a workout class together. Just You can anything. do your healthy nutritional meal prep, yeah. Christina, you right? Can do meal you can prep meal in the prep kitchen. for the week right. because nutrition yeah. must play a role in this. Absolutely. And so that's another thing, too, is that I think it's important that parents set a really good example in the ways that they can. And part of that is nutrition. Part of that is also emotionally in another way. So for example, I'll meet a lot of parents who will say, well, my kid's always on their phone. They have such an attitude problem. And then if I meet the two of them in session, the parents have a lot of attitude and they're checking their phone every 10 minutes. And so it's kind of like, this seems a little hypocritical. So we have to kind of check ourselves as well as mentors and parents and teachers to make sure we're setting a good example. What about the family meal? Because Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, we get away from that because we come home and they're busy and yeah. so they're standing at the counter and, yeah. and insisting on, I don't ask much, but we're going to sit down as a family and yes. chatting about the day. Yeah. yeah. When I was younger, we had Sunday night dinners because we all had crazy schedules. I was in dance. My brother was in hockey. My sister was in swimming. But we had one night a week where we had to have dinner together. And there's been a lot of really interesting research that shows that the more connected teens feel to their families, the less likely they are to get involved with drugs, with a lot of other problematic behaviors. Behavior, so to say, and it's because of that connection piece, which seems funny because that doesn't seem like something that would directly go hand in hand, mm-hmm. but the indirect effects of that are pretty f- interesting. So absolutely, family meals just when you can. Yeah. yeah. Well, The Anxious Teen is available now on Amazon in ebook and hard copy format. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's very it's very readable, very simple. You're not going to get into a big, heavy, like, textbook. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's eminently readable. If you want to win a copy, there is a contest up now on whatshesaidtalk.com. Uh, but where can people go to actually get the book if they just want to get it right now, ebook? Yeah, so it's on iBooks. It's also on Amazon.ca, and I have links on my website as well directly, which is www.fresh-insight.ca. Um, what are you going to work on next? Oh, my gosh. I've, you know, I've been thinking about doing something for couples. Uh-oh. Communication issues. I see that a lot. So yeah. that might be my next yeah. tackle. Okay. Dinner together might might work for them, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Christina Vero, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. 
Today, arthritis affects more than 6 million Canadians, and while the economic burden of arthritis on our society continues to rise, uh, it's currently more than $33 billion annually, so does the demand for relief from pain. Joining us now is Heather Shantora, the CEO of PT Health, who is here to Tell us about an exciting new partnership. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Now, the Arthritis Society has just announced a partnership with PT Health, which is a community clinic network with more than 230 locations across this country. Tell us what the partnership is going to focus on. So there are 6 million Canadians today living with arthritis. That number is huge. That's like almost one in five. Mm -hmm. And they expect it to double um, in the next 10 years. And that it's a painful disease and it affects so many people. And so Mm -hmm. most um, people living in pain go to their physician and often that leads to pharmaceuticals. We are a chain of physiotherapy clinics. We offer other services like acupuncture, massage, chiropractic. Um, But we're across Canada. And so the conversation started with Arthritis Society saying, let's get these people having a better quality of life that doesn't require pharmaceuticals for life and get them moving, active, you know, release those joints of those stiffness. And so that's really where the conversation started is how do we help these 6 million Canadians get active, enjoy their quality of life while they have it, and really try to slow down the progression of the disease? It seems interesting to me that we are just now starting this real push because those those other options have always been available. Mm-hmm. Why is it is it is it because of the conversations about opioids and painkillers that we're starting to say, geez, maybe we shouldn't be starting these addictions? Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think that that plays into it. I think part of the challenge with physiotherapy, because it's been outside the OHIP system and other um, government systems in other provinces, people don't know the benefits of physiotherapy. In Ontario, only one in five Ontarians have ever been to physiotherapy. Physiotherapy can be dramatically life-changing for people. It really mm-hmm. genuinely makes their life better. But because it's paid privately, many people haven't been and aren't aware that vast majority of healthcare plans cover it. About 76 Ontarians, 76% of Ontarians have coverage for it. They will not pay out of pocket, but they just haven't had the opportunity to try physio to see the benefits. So I think now with this push towards wellness and people being willing to, being willing to invest in their own health, more people are trying physiotherapy. So I think it's an awareness thing as opposed to a lack of availability before. And what about awareness with doctors? prescribing it. Absolutely. And physicians, um, you know, they're in medical school for a very long time. The amount of time where they actually learn about other allied health professions is very, very small. So they're not really aware of the scope of a physiotherapist. Um, In Ontario, physiotherapists are first line health providers. In other words, if you have a twisted ankle, you can go straight to your physio. You You don't don't need need a physician's referral. referral. No. And very few health benefits actually require that. So you can go straight to them. They they are trained in human mu- human movement. They spend two years doing a master's program in physiotherapy plus their four years undergrad. So they have six years training in the musculoskeletal system and how to make it better. That is more time than a physician would spend doing that. But I just think that Ontarians and Canadians don't know that. The stats in Canada, the rest of Canada, are actually slightly less people have been to physio. They're strongest in Ontario. Well, it's interesting. My, my, um, my doctor referred me... Um, to a knee specialist, mm-hmm. and I had, I had arthritis, moderate arthritis, apparently, mm-hmm. in my knee, and I had an, an injection of, I think it was to refill the synovial fluid, vis, yes. vis yes. something like that. Yes. 
which was quite painful going in. But within a couple of days, it was like, wow, mm-hmm. I, I am my knees are no longer grinding. I'm mm-hmm. even like tempted to see if I can start jogging again. Mm-hmm. But along with that, she said, I want you to come back. It was a sports clinic that I was okay. sent to. I want you to come back and work with a physiotherapist because you've been protecting the bad knee mm-hmm. for so long. You've actually weakened muscles that would so that you need to know specific exercises to mm-hmm. just work around that knee and the mm-hmm. physiotherapist was excellent like Great. really 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 good i was really happy with uh with the work now i've just got to keep up the exercises right? <laughs> <laughs> and i'm happy that was your experience and the advice you got because a lot of people it's you know the injection which those are fairly new mm-hmm. um and i have heard great things but you know often that's it mm-hmm. and then pain medication related you know yeah no you that was never even release, suggested that's fantastic that was never and honestly suggested. that's what you want isn't it to get yeah. back to good quality of life jogging and and that has an effect on your emotional well-being as well, right? So mm-hmm. this really is a holistic issue for someone living with arthritis. Absolutely, because let me just let me just continue with that that thought because for me it was exercise was painful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love to walk, I love to walk the dog. If I can't walk, mm-hmm. how am I, if I can't go downhills and going upstairs? I mean, it's is ridiculous. I mean, I can mm-hmm. I can deal with not running. I can deal with not, you know, being able to do lunges, believe me, I can deal with not having to do lunges. <laughs> but if I can't walk, what mm-hmm. am I going to do for mm-hmm. exercise? Yeah, exactly. So this made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm happy to hear mm-hmm. that. So I, I, I want to know in a, in a big picture sense how physiotherapy has the potential to, you know, give arthritis patients their quality of life back, but at the same time reduce the personal and social burden mm-hmm. because it, it – we're we're spending a lot of money mm-hmm. on trying to treat people in the wrong way, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it is a progressive disease. People don't mm-hmm. get cured from it. And so that's critically important. But what, what we can do is, number one, early detection. So if you go um, to a physiotherapist, um, they can actually help detect that it is, in fact, arthritis, not um, you know just a temporary sports injury or something. The earlier that we can detect that, the quicker we can start working with it to make sure that it doesn't progress and you don't get to the point where you're living in constant pain and need pharmaceuticals, um, which in turn leads to um, physician visits, which costs the system money. Sometimes it leads to slips, falls, other things, which then ER, that costs money. So if we're able to intervene sooner, we have better outcomes. What physiotherapy can do is several things. So Kate, your example was great mm-hmm. because people do protect it and they modify their gait, mm-hmm. so the, the form in which they walk. Um, and that actually then just puts stress on different joints or the other leg, for example, or the low back. Hip. <laughs> exactly. And then so then you're just spreading, you know, the issues that you have. So what they will do is do balancing exercises to make sure that you are appropriately using all the muscles in your leg. In some mm-hmm. cases, they'll do unloading exercises. So they will... Um, do manual therapy and pull on the joint to allow relief Mm -hmm. so that the two joints aren't rubbing. In some cases, people are really stiff and can't get any mobility into the joint. So they'll actually bend and move the joint for you that allows it to lubricate itself and then have a better feeling. So with physiotherapy, it's an individualized program for everyone. Um, 
So what they would do to work on with each patient would be different. The other thing that they would offer in a clinic is um, pain relief. So for example, they will do electrical stimulation or inferential currents, and that will help give the patient relief from that joint and that pain. In some cases, too, bracing might be appropriate. Knees mm-hmm. are a really great example where there's a lot of pressure and grinding. We have unloading braces that literally take the weight off the joint for you so that that poor oh, joint isn't excellent. being overused. Well, that's why... I- I mean, I guess you have physiotherapists with increased arthritis knowledge, and that's yes. that's fabulous. But I didn't know that PT Health is actually the largest woman-led physical rehabilitation company in Canada. Yes, yes. and I'm delighted to say that because um, 78% of all physiotherapists are female, and um, there's three major chains in Canada, and uh, so we, uh, PT Health, are one of them. We're the only one led by a woman, and the rest of the marketplace, for the most part, is independence. But to have 78% of those clinicians be represented by a woman, I think is really important and far more representative of what the workforce looks like. So the other thing is our we are national, but our full leadership team is made up of more than 50% women. Well, there's 230 yes. locations mm-hmm. across. So how can people find out where they are? You must have a website. Yes, pthealth.ca and you put in your postal code, it'll show you the closest one to you. We have a call center that's open, you know, all of the time zones seven days a week. So it's, it's very easy to get into a clinic. And you don't need a referral. You do not need a referral, no. Do you have to have been um, diagnosed with arthritis? I had to go through an x-ray process and I kept the the discs, right, Mm -hmm. so I could take them wherever I needed so everyone could see that before they would see me. So do you have to... No, you don't. A physiotherapist is able to diagnose that and come up with an individual treatment plan. A physician's not required. Perfect. So very quickly, what, what are the results that you've seen? By pe- from people who go in early, do exactly what you said. Right. It's the quality of life part, right, mm-hmm. where the, you know stairs are bothering them, mm-hmm. and then we get them to a point where that doesn't bother them anymore because we were able to strengthen other muscles. The testimonials we get are, are absolutely heartwarming. Um, you know, people who didn't run. We had one from a husband about his wife who, um, you know, she had challenges just with the activities of daily living, getting up, brushing her hair. To be able to change their lives so that they're more independent is... Is, is just enormous. And it must be great on a marriage not having to listen to somebody <laughs> how much everything hurts or I can't do this. Or like social benefits. Yeah. Exactly, and I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Heather Thank Shantora you. with PT Health. Thank you. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at whatshesaidtalk.com. And joining us now is Renee Rabello, financial advisor at Life Coach Financial Strategies. Welcome back. We've missed you. Yes, ladies. Thank you for having me. Yes, you look nice and tanned. You must have had a great summer. I had a great summer. I just got back from Bahamas with 20 ladies. Life was good. (laughs) (laughs) It was good. Okay, now today we want to talk about RESPs and how they can be used for adult income splitting. So they're not just for kids anymore? No. So an RESP is a registered education savings plan. Right. And a lot of the times we think of them for our children and and paying for post-secondary, which, you know, is very expensive. But they can be used as an income-splitting tool for adults, too. So if there's any idea that you might want to go back to school, you can use your lifetime limit of $50,000. So if you've maxed out your RSPs and you've maxed out your TFSA limits, you can actually put up to $50,000 in an RESP, a Registered Education Savings Plan, and allow it to go... 
grow tax-free also. So then you have the ability to keep the money in there for up to 36 years. And then you can, if as long as you name the RESP in both spouses' name, you can actually pull the money out and attribute all the tax to your spouse who may be in a lower income earner. I, I, I don't even begin to understand why would it then be called a registered education savings plan when it's got nothing to do with education, it's a savings plan? Well, it does because the primary, there is tax implications for pulling it out um, and it has, there is rules around pulling it out and how it has to roll into your RRSP at that point. There's a bunch of little tidbits of information that is just way too vast to go into in this, in this segment, but the possibility is there to be able to do it as a tax strategy. I understand all that. I just don't know why it would come under education uh, because it's got nothing to do with that. But anyway. The idea is you're supposed to put it in with the idea that you're going to go to post-secondary. Oh. Or, or sorry, to some kind of educational. Football. So we're talking about like a lifetime learning situation. Nope. Lifetime no. learning program is a different thing altogether okay. where you have money in RSPs, which is also available for adults. And it's a program where the government allows you to pull up to $20,000 from mm-hmm. your RRSPs to finance your education also. But so that has to be paid back, right? That has to be paid back, but you're able to pull it out of your RSPs without adding it to your income. So you're able to access $20,000 towards your education. And there's rules around that too. There's always rules around yeah. things, mm-hmm. right? And again, the knowledge is the fact that there's these tools out there to utilize. So you could actually pull up to 20000 from your RSPs and not include it in your income and use it towards your education. And then you have to pay it back over 15 years, the government st- stipulates, one fifteenth, kind of like the home buyer plan. So going back to the RESP, mm-hmm. so it's fifty thousand dollars lifetime limit. Lifetime limit. So, in. and adults won't get any of the education savings grants or the lifetime learning bonds because there's rules for that under right. the age of seventeen. So let's say it was me and my husband. We could each do fifty. Well, the idea is to make it joint because then there's no benefit to the income splitting. The only way to income split it is if you set up one and make it a joint subscriber. So you would be the joint subscriber and the beneficiary. You could set up more than one beneficiary. If you chose to go to school, then you have the funds there. They grow tax sheltered. Right. And then if you do not go to school, Mm. then you can wind it up and you can attribute the income that you made on the money to whatever spouse has a lower income. Okay, Uh, and if you die? (laughs) Well, it's the same. It has to be left. You have a beneficiary, and it's left through your will. You can name a... So you're thinking about this? Well, I, I, I mean, I don't have a spouse, so I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering. I think you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about what, what. Well, for you as a single person, you would put it in and then pull it out later when you're in a lower income bracket. So in retirement, so when you're working, you're in your highest level, ideally, of income right. and the right. highest tax bracket. Right. So if you had 36 years that you were able to keep this this product open, then you could time it that you now are pulling it out later when you have a lower income and you're in a lower tax bracket. So is so would I come to somebody like you and say, I want to do this? You would probably come to someone like me and say, I'm looking for ways to strategize more tax efficiently. Right. And then my job is to bring these strategies that would work for you to you. Okay. So you wouldn't necessarily think of this strategy 
But our job as certified financial planners is to know these strategies Mm -hmm. for our clients so that we can recommend them. So can you set up an RESP for me? Absolutely. Uh, As opposed to, I know with kids, there are companies that you, you know. It's the same companies. So they're all the same companies. companies. The difference is your age and the kid's age. So the kids get grants and they get bonds and they get, you know, the 20% minimum. You know, they get all these wonderful things. And the wonderful thing is when they pull it out, for example, my kids just pulled some out for their post-secondary and the income is taxed in their hands. So your capital is not taxed, but the growth or the grant is taxed in the kids' hands. So as a single mom, I have to be careful because if my child is not 18, then if I claim them as equivalent to spouse, that affects that deduction. So it's all about the strategies on how to put it in and how to take it out. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds very complicated, but if they go and talk to you, yes, then you'll, they, get, you'll sort it all out. We've got them all covered. <laughs> you got it all sorted. <laughs> how do people get in touch with you, Renee? They can get in touch with me through Facebook, Life Coach Financial Strategies, through my website, mylcfs.ca, and uh, they can call the office. Imagine well, a phone creepy. call. <laughs> because as usual, you bring up stuff that I've never even heard of, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Which thank- is what I'd love to do. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you very much for taking the time to tell uh, everyone about it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.